0: Hi, this is Jay Baer of Convince & Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince & Convert Consulting.
1: everybody. Welcome to the content experience show podcast. I'm here with the always amazing Randy Frisch from Uberflip and I am Anna Harak from Convince and Convert. Now today we drop a lot of information on you guys, but we just couldn't really help it. Joe gave us so much great information. This is Joe Griffin from Clear Voice. He gave so much amazing information into voice and tone and brand guidelines and writers and hiring freelancers. Randy, I feel like this is just Packed full of information today.
2: It, it really is, and you know, at, at one point I thought he was going to make it to Mickey Mouse. I don't mean that in a bad way, because he started with like, "Here's how to create content out of the gate." But that answer itself was even so good, like for companies struggling on. Where do I get started? But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he takes us to this whole other level, right? It's like, then when you want to scale, here's what you're gonna do with your content. Here's all the things that you need to have in place. And I don't know about you, Anna, but like I could relate to those growing pains. But he kind of like took us through those growing pains and solutions and like an amazing, you know, three, four minute answer there at one point.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah. I was having, you know, he starts off talking about how content was commoditized at one point. Now we're kind of coming out of that. And literally everything he was saying the entire time, I was getting flashbacks of my writing career in my head and being at previous agencies and really having to fight for quality content and what that means. And, you know, he talks about the importance of an editor and I just could not have jumped up and down more while he was talking because it's all great stuff. And especially from my perspective, from content, there's a lot of really great stuff in here.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the part that I related to, I guess, more on the CMO end of this was this this, this struggle that some of us have once we start to create content where how do we, how do we get some standardization? How do we get everyone to buy in, if you will? Because before you know it, you have product marketing out there saying something. You have content marketing out there saying something and all these other groups. And, and one of his bits of advice that, that I'll let people listen to in, in full when they get to the recording is this idea of, of a central editor um you know the, the the general editor if you will who's going to edit for all voice coming through and one of the things that we did at uberflip i know i've shared this with you anna before is we set up our own brand guidelines to get buy-in from all those groups if, if people want to check it out too it's at uh brand.uberflip.com you can go it's it's a public tool but it really helps guide our team internally to make sure everyone's staying on the same page
1: it's Gorgeous. And everybody should just go there because I think, Randy, one of the things that I love about your style guide too, which is also what Joe talked about is you don't have to have things be an encyclopedia of brand guidelines. You know, if you have those core elements and it's, you know, useful and it's usable, people are going to use it, especially in my experience, when brand guidelines do get to be like the Encyclopedia Britannica People don't look at them, but Randy, I think you guys have put together something that is beautiful. It's useful. It's usable. It's easy to navigate. Um, I think it's awesome.
2: Thanks. We had, you know, my favorite part of it is the part called brand personality. I don't know if you had a chance check that out, but uh, you know, I, I take a lot from Ann Hanley on this one. If people don't know Ann at, at Marketing Pros, but she she gives great examples of companies that have these personalities where you go to their site and no matter what you read on their site, it goes back to either a very fun, playful approach or sometimes very serious, depending on who your audience might be and how you think you can capture them. And I think, you know, Pulling this back to Joe, I think that's that's a big key takeaway today. Is how do you make sure that your content is aligned? And uh, you know, we'll roll this this podcast any moment here, but I, I don't know about you, Anna, but that that to me is the biggest concern at scale. Is how do we align?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's you know, especially when content is being created from so many different places, how does it all sound like one? cohesive vision and um, I think you're right I think we should just go ahead and bring Joe in I think you actually brought him in so um, we should just bring Joe in and let him talk about all of these things for himself
2: Hey, Joe. Thanks so much for joining us here on Connex. Uh, Maybe you could start off for us and tell us two things. First, a little bit about you, what your role is in your company. But at the same time, we'd love to understand from you, since you're the co-founder, what is Clear Voice all about? Absolutely.
3: Thanks for having me, Randy and Anna. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to talk to you both today. And uh, yeah, I love talking about um, content creation and you know, what it takes to really become um, a, have a powerful voice out in the market and you know, building thought leadership and and driving traffic and generating leads and all of the things that everybody wants to do when it when it comes to creating content and you know, the reason why we do it. So um, it's something I'm certainly passionate about. And, you know, my core, I think, responsibilities inside of Clear Voice is making sure that you know we're really evangelizing, you know, that particular message uh, and that we're always building, you know, products and tools to help brands and agencies and the freelance community, um, you know, best tell their stories and be able to work together in really efficient ways. And so that's, you know, that's what we're all about. And, you know, we've been doing this now for, you know, for about you know, five years in terms of clear voice, but, uh, we'd love to tell you, tell you more, anything in particular you want me to dive in on.
2: Yeah. you know, One thing I'd love for us to talk about today is you've obviously gotten to know a lot of different great content creators. And the bars are definitely raising over the years, right? It, It used to just be create content and then people will find you. And then we got to a point where we had to create great content. I mean, you would think it would have had to been great on day one, but especially as there's so much out there. So maybe you could give us uh, you know some of your key attributes you look for in a great content creator starting with like their background their skill set things like that
3: what you know the it's an interesting industry and you definitely got it right in terms of how you're talking about it and i think i think some of the trends and some of the things that have evolved over time have changed the definition of what a great content creator is and if you just go back a little bit and think about you know 15 20 years ago it was really you know, all content was really still controlled by kind of big media, and there was really five big conglomerates, or you know, give or take, that controlled most of the content that we were seeing. Whether it was video, whether it was print, um, and even for the most part, digital. And then a lot of sh- you know shakeups, you know, obviously have come down since digital became popularized, and that really changed um, a lot of the ways that we, as you know, brands and agencies, interact with creators and opened up a lot of new opportunities. But it also created kind of a good and bad commodity system for content. And for many years, you know, 10, 15 years, there was a trend of lower quality content, kind of high volume, low quality content, mostly to feed search, mostly for SEO purposes. Um, and, you know, Google actually, you know, came out in 2012 with the Panda update. And that update in many ways, I think, was the the nudge that the industry needed to move away from that that type of commoditized content and get back to, you know, that, that higher quality content. And, you know, I think brands have, you know, brands understand that. They've understood that since it occurred. And there's been definitely a shift. And it's taken several years, I think, to kind of get back to that meaning of let's really create great content. And so when you're thinking about, you know, creators and you're trying to figure out, you know, who would we work with to, you know, produce content that, is high quality, and that is in the voice of our brand. You know, you're going to really be looking at: is this, are we building out and building out an in-house team, or are we going to be going, you know, the freelance route? And that's a really uh, important decision to make. Um, the reason why I gave that backdrop about some of the industry changes is there are new roles that have emerged, and there are still emerging roles in the area of content. And one of the emerging roles is. The, the prevalence and the importance of the managing editor and what it means to be a managing editor. Um, there are a lot more managing editors now than there used to be, and there's probably going to become still even even more than there is today. And the reason why that is is because the managing editor now is really the gatekeeper of the brand voice, the person responsible for vetting and managing talent, for keeping things you know, on, on timelines and routing content through all the various approval processes that every company has, so that managing editor role is extremely important, and it's something that um, companies who are struggling with creating content they can't put their finger on. like they want content, they want great content, they've even got a budget for it. But for some reason, they just they can't hit those basic content you know milestones that they're setting. And a lot of it has to do with they probably don't have or may not have the right managing editor in place. To oversee those things. So I would just say that's a key role um, that that goes about vetting. So I don't know if I don't know if you guys, I know on your end you have a managing editor. So obviously you're doing a lot of things right in that area.
1: Yeah, I, Joe, I seriously cannot agree with you more. I think, you know, for too long, the industry has really been focused on content creation, therefore equals content creator or content writer. And the role of an editor is so undervalued. It's criminal. They're even in in times I've written things where I've been like, oh man, this is great. It's on brand. It's on voice and tone. It's good to go. And then it goes to an editor and they're like, yeah, I don't know what you were doing on this. Like you had a random thought here. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. Like just those little tweaks and tightening up and, you know, just even managing the workflow and just it's an editor is again, criminally undervalued. I cannot agree with you more. Um, What are... So you had mentioned, and I think these two things kind of go hand in hand, where you had mentioned, you know, we're kind of coming out of this commoditization phase. And, you know, we kind of try to get sort of the most bang for our buck still out of writers. So, you know, we expect them to be editors, we expect them to be proofreaders, we expect them to be managers and project managers, in addition to content creators and creatives. What are are some tips and tricks and, you know, even just some advice you would impart onto companies who are maybe on the fence and thinking a writer can cover that managing editor position, like how would you help them understand the value of that editor and someone who can manage all of that content?
3: Yeah, I mean you, you you're nail you're saying all the right things because that is exactly how I think a lot of times the world thinks about content is hey let's hire a writer or hire a couple writers and content's just going to happen and right you know it's it's not the
1: case like it's magic.
3: Yeah, exactly, and it's not it's not the case that a writer will cover those those different positions. And I would even go further to say that to get great writing, um, you need to you need to actually create an environment. You need an environment of creativity, just like a just like a designer or like um, any creative needs a certain type of environment to be creative. Writers are the same, and I, I think that's another odd thing that. Um, I, maybe we're just starting to better understand, I don't know why that would be the case, but I feel like we're just better understanding that they also need a creative environment, which is one of the reasons we are really big advocates for the idea of remote work or freelance work for writers because to, you know, it's also kind of criminal to go, okay, eight to five, sit down, don't go anywhere, write this creative thing now, you know, whether you're in a creative mood or not, right? Like sometimes the creative mood might be 7 PM or 1 AM or 4 AM or whatever, um, and and it's really a, a different type of role. So, I think you know writers really need the freedom to be creative and need a creative environments. What works best is by giving them specific instructions of what you're looking for, and that's where you need some of that strategy to come into play. Where you need that managing editor who can you know issue assignments and and manage deadlines. Um, but you you have to have uh, an editor. And when we think about editors, there's really there are kind of two types of editors. Now, a managing editor can play both roles, but there's also a copy editor. Depending on the amount of volume that you have, you know, that you're creating, you may need a copy editor or a part-time copy editor. And that's really, you know, the opening paragraph, the sentence structure, the grammatical value, the, the, maybe even the content styling, the bulleting, um, the closing paragraphs, those types of things that are, where a copy editor can come in um, and kind of take something that maybe is at 85% to 95% um, in terms of coming from the writer's hands, uh, and then your managing editor kind of overall managing, you know, the assignments, the deadlines, the talent themselves in a smaller production environment, your managing editor would probably also be your copy editor, or you might just freelance your copy editing, but you do need that. Um, you really have to have at a minimum two people on your content team to produce even a small amount of content or, or three. They don't have to be em- full-time employees. It could be part-time employees. It could be freelancers. But you have to have someone who's in charge of strategy. That could be your managing editor. You do have to have the actual operational managing editor, including the copy editing. And then let writers just do what they do. Don't try to make writers do more than they do. I mean, sure, some of them can. But the, the most important part is you have to have two sets, to at least two sets of eyes on a piece of content. Because even the best writers in the world will miss the voice sometimes. They will have grammatical issues Um, So you still have to have two sets of eyes on every project.
2: So I'm really enjoying this, and and partly because I was sitting in a meeting today here at our office, and we were talking about our ability to crunch through all the content requirements. And so it's it's a great time that we're having this because I'm going to take whatever you tell me now, Joe, right back to my team. And I think any CMO or VP or director level manager who's listening here is probably going to wonder on the answer to this too, which is... You know, a lot of what you're describing sounds like a media company. You said that at the beginning. I mean, these are the challenges that media companies have been battling for decades. As as organizations, as uh, companies that are trying to drive revenue, we're now realizing the value of this. But how do you define the role of that editor in terms of editing? Let's call it the content marketing, the thought leadership, the inbound assets, versus all the other needs that are coming through our company. Because I think that's where we're starting to see a lot of debate in in companies: is should our content team also now manage what you called brand voice at one point here, like the you know the product marketing assets and the one-page overviews? Like I I personally feel like that line is starting to blur, and it's getting really hard on on some of the teams I talk to.
3: Yeah. So I, I totally agree that the, the lines are blurring and it's something that we deal with too. It's a really interesting kind of dynamic where you've got, you know, you've got your product marketing teams, uh, you've got your content marketing teams. Sometimes those are separate groups and then sometimes those groups are combined. Um, you may even have, you know, uh, corporate communications at some level or some kind of brand marketing team. And there are all these different, um, you know, kind of tribes almost in, in marketing that all have a common goal, but may have different directives, different um, objectives in terms of how they want to execute marketing. But I, I do believe that... Um, I, I do think that the lines are blurring in terms of you know, who owns content. And that's something that you know, everyone's troubles with, too. Is like, who actually truly owns content? Is it truly owned by anybody? I do think it should be owned by someone. I think there has to be um, one or two people in the company that really own it and, and can drive the... That they're, and they're responsible for creating the voice... They're responsible for identifying the tone. Now they may have to collaborate, right? Like they may have to collaborate with, you know, Corpcom or, or the brand team, depending on the size of the organization. Even in a small company, they're going to be coordinating directly with the CEO, but having the core brand voice, the tone, the, the, you know, obviously the, the mission, the vision, all those things aligned so that all departments are kind of in their own way, um, creating content that still aligns with that kind of, that kind of core brand voice is really key. Um, and I would say that, you know, yes, you specifically about how does, what are the, what's the role of the editor? To me, the editor sh- should probably live um, in one of those departments. You don't need, you shouldn't probably have editors all over the place. One, you should kind of define who's the core content department in our company. We actually have a content marketing ahead of a director of content marketing. We also have a director of product marketing, and the product marketing director does tons of things of product, and she produces tons of content. And not all of that not all of that has to be necessarily approved by our director of content marketing. But that department still owns editing. So we have one department that owns editing because at the end of the day, everything has to come back to alignment um, and the way that we communicate and message to our customers. So I, I would think that's the takeaway here. Really, is one person or two people have to own editing inside of a single department, and all content should route through that department.
1: Nice, I love it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. There should always be sort of that final gatekeeper that really sees what everybody's doing and kind of makes sure it all ties together. Um, Joe, I want to get more into voice and tone and things like that and some of the you know mission, vision, values that you talked about. But real quick, we're going to take a super quick break to hear from our sponsors. So uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about voice and tone and all the other amazing brand goodies that um, writers use and we can help provide to them.
2: I always get excited when there's a sponsor for this podcast that I'm really excited about. And this one today I am truly excited about because I've admired Intercom as they've grown and really captured the way we interact with our audiences. And the cool thing about them is they do it with content too. Intercom, if you haven't checked it out before, it's the most comprehensive platform for business messaging. And as we always talk about on the content experience show, messaging gets ingrained right into our content. So what Intercom does is they pick the best leads from your site to boost to the top of your funnel, increase efficiency, and grow your business. The Intercom Messenger is actually completely customizable to match your brand, which we know is so important, and has a home screen that engages visitors with interactive content. You know how that's getting. Anna and I excited on this podcast. A newsletter, subscription button, lead catcher, so much more. Intercom's chatbot is also really cool at qualifying the best leads for your sales team to connect with. So, you know, avoid the VP of sales on this and just use Intercom. They will help you figure it all out. Start it today. Go to intercom.com slash growth and let them know your friends from Connect sent you there.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We are here with Joe Griffin from Clear Voice. Now, Joe, before the break, you started talking about voice and tone, and voice and tone and brand guidelines are things that I am insanely passionate about. And I feel like absolutely no writer should be able to create content without at least having sort of an outline of these things. Um, Based off of everything you've seen and even how you operate internally with creating content, what kind of documentation is really necessary for writers to really start?
3: Yeah, I think, well, that's, um, I, I'm in agreement, it's something I'm passionate about too. And, you know, I believe that in order to, in order to create high quality content and more importantly, to get the output that you're looking for, you really have to lay a lot of that important foundation and you have to, there's also going to be some ongoing availability to that creative team as they have questions to make sure that they're on the right track. What I would, um, caution a little bit on when you think about setting foundation is don't wait too long. You know, there are, I see a lot of times where people have had um, they've had negative experiences in the past, either with um, creative talent that they've hired through agencies or even in-house or through freelance marketplaces. And they then will they've taken that negative experience and they will kind of um, get a little, then they get gun shy because they're like, you know what, we don't have these foundations. We don't have our strategy nailed down. And so we shouldn't move forward and companies will wait, wait and wait and wait and wait until they've got that perfect content strategy and all the guidelines nailed down before they move forward. I would caution against that a little bit. I mean, it's, It is important and I want to talk about why and some of the specifics, but the way I like to think about it is really a three-pronged approach to creating content. The first approach is start creating content. Just come up with, I call it the MVP, the minimum viable plan, the minimum viable content plan. Identify what that is. And for most companies, that's probably something like one article a week on the blog, one to two emails per month to your audience, you know, just some very basic social media posting. Don't post in social media just to post in social media. And then probably one rich asset, something like an ebook or a white paper per quarter. That is really probably the MVP of like, if you're going to do content, if you don't do at least that much, just don't even do it because you're not, you don't have any consistency. Start that MVP if you need to without having all of the content strategy figured out. You know, companies tend to know who their audiences are pretty well, even without defined personas, even without defined um, kind of segments, even if they haven't done that. Or even if they have done that, that's going to be enough to get you started. And use use that MVP, that stage one, as a way to figure out what your strategy should be. Sometimes that's the best way to figure out what your strategy should be is to actually start doing it and kind of figure out what does and doesn't work, what you do and don't like. Then you want to really define the themes. And this is, I would say the theme is extremely important. And a lot of times we combine the words themes and topics. In some ways, they're the same. In other ways, they're not the same. A theme is like a central thing that we're always going to come back to. And you don't have many themes. You might only have you know, one or two themes, you may have one theme to two themes per primary audience segment. In our business, we were serving brands and agencies who are the buyers, but then we also serve the, our freelance talent network. So that's a totally separate audience. So we've got really two themes, one for the brands and agencies, one for the freelancers. You don't want too many themes. You can evolve and change your theme over time, but you don't want too many. And our theme is, um, you know, better voices, better content. That's our theme. So when we talk about like our marketing, when we talk about things, it doesn't matter if we're talking about how to rank in Google. It doesn't matter if we're talking about how to run a lead generation campaign. It doesn't matter if we're talking about how to write an article. Like we're still getting back to better voices, better content, and the value of uh, the value of valuing the relationships that you have with your creative team, giving them the freedom to be creative, treating them like businesses having basic organizational foundations that respect their time and get you what you want. So I would start with the theme. The theme is probably the most important thing. And then the topics are those key things you want to talk about. Like we want to talk about how to hire people, how to, how to work with them to create content. We want to talk about how to rank in search engines, right? So those are the topics. And I, I would start, I think you have to have the themes and the topics to really have a good foundation Um, then I would say the next thing is having a a basic governance plan. Don't let the word scary governance scare you. It just means like, what are your approval processes? Who's in charge of sending on assignments? Um, how long do you expect things to be turned around? Like when you request an assignment from a writer, what is your turnaround time? Do you want it back in five business days, 10 business days, two business days? Um, you can, you can document that very, uh, pretty easily. It doesn't have to be again, that formal to start. Just, I would say the basic things are turnaround times in terms of assignment to due date, um, expectations for revisions. Are you going to request revisions from writers or are you going, or any creative for that matter, or are you just going to handle those things in house? How many revisions would would you, you know, want to cap things to? Um, and then what, what type of timeline would you expect on those as well? And then when it comes to kind of the final approval process, You know, how many approvers do you have in your organization? And I would say, you know, rule of thumb, have as few as possible. Like you don't want five people to have to approve anything. Um, But in a lot of cases, you do have to have two or three or even four. What are those steps and what are the expectations? Another thing we created, we call it the content commitment. When we work with companies, we actually outline all these things. We go, okay, we've got to create a concept. You have to approve the concept. Then we have to create an assignment, find the talent, send it to the talent. The talent has to write and or design the the piece. We then have to review that and go through revisions back and forth until we're satisfied to turn it back over to you. Then you have to review it and approve it or provide a revision the feedback to us. You may even need to do two approvals on your end before it can even get back to us. So there's all these steps. That's the governance. That's the flow. Um, and it's actually really important to put timelines around those things. You're never going to hit every timeline. But it's important to know that from a time that we have an idea or a concept and we decide we're going to run with that concept, I'm not going to have a piece of content done for 25 days because every single thing I just mentioned in the middle, you know, has, has, you know, steps and procedures that have to happen. So, yeah, I would say themes and topics, your governance, and then just really understanding who's on that talent network that you have whether it's internal or freelancers and you can really, you know, kind of be off of the races.
1: Nice. I love it. I mean, I... I I feel like you just dropped the mic. I mean, I feel like you gave so much amazing information in just those five minutes there, but agree with you entirely and love the entire concept of M- MVP. And I hope everybody kind of takes that away that, um, you know, not to sound like a cliche, but um, done is better than perfect. And, you know, as long as you have those guidelines and you have sort of that box and that sandbox to play and you have it at least defined that people can go, they can start creating content, but they just have to have some sort of framework established. And I love it. I think you just gave unbelievable information that everybody's going to really enjoy. Yeah. (laughs) I know Randy's going to go back to his team now and be like, look.
2: Yeah. They're going to have a lot of work and they're going to be like, we hate you short term, but long term, they're going to love it. (laughs)
1: Long-term, our life is going to be easier. Um, Well, Joe, I would love to just sort of wrap it here because I think you gave some amazing information, some great advice, but don't go away because we'd love to get to know more about you personally now that you've dropped all of this amazing information on um, our listeners. So stick around and we have just a couple of personal questions to wrap up.
2: All right. So we all now know, Joe, that we have to check out Clear Voice because we got to, you know, get our team creating better content aligned. But we're also curious I was to get to know our guests a bit. And we got to do a little bit of digging with you before we hit record today. And we learned a little bit about your obsession for video gaming. And uh, you know, it was clear that I'm a novice, um, just as I am now, brand guidelines and, and voice, uh, compared to you. But maybe you can give us an idea of of where you kind of geek out on this stuff.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's something I kind of didn't want want to admit, but I I have to also just own the fact that I'm I'm a pretty big nerd, and I can't seem to ever get away from the computer. So yeah, I mean, I've I've been just all about strategy games for like ever since i was a kid going back to like the first civilization to you know the new civilization and i play some kind of crazy um like there's one game called europa universalis it's a really great kind of historical game where you're kind of trying to seize like the ottoman empire you're trying to build um you know armies in in spain and france uh, it's just really cool a lot of war games and then i've really even really hate to admit this, but there's kind of a game called Dota. It's kind of like a league, league of legends type game that I just, I still find myself playing really a lot more than I should. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely one of the things that takes up my free time when I'm not, you know, taking care of my two kids and uh, married and, you know, got a house and that whole, whole thing. So that's, that's really where most of my time goes. But when I get some of that, that selfish free time video games,
1: There's absolutely nothing wrong with video games. I'm a massive fan. I will defend you no matter what on this one.
2: I also think, you know, for the interest of your relationship with your kids, maybe less so your wife, uh, you need to play video games so you can connect with them. That's what, that's what I tell my wife all the time. Like I'm, I'm still playing like NHL, I guess it's 2018 now, uh, so that I can connect with my kids on that whole other level. So I, I admire you for it. Let me ask you this, this very controversial question on video gaming these days. Are you a fan of VR or a non-fan? Like, do you think it's just too real? I think it's like,
3: I kind of do love it. I mean, I don't, I've played it a couple of times with like friends who set the whole thing up and they've got like, you know, the the true setup Um, and it's super awesome. It's just like, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I would never dedicate that type of space for it because you really need like a room for it um and you have to have all the
1: like plenty of swinging distance
3: yeah yeah and there's just like i don't know if it's cameras or what they're setting up some type of other they've got these like things on tripods and you know it's like serious stuff so i don't know i think it's like maybe more of an you know some people probably love it in their house um but it seems like it's one of those things that maybe hopefully takes off more as like a cool experience and i've seen them
2: popping up where there's like these vr rooms that you can get and
3: stuff so i don't know that that might be pretty
2: cool I saw they had it at the airport the other day, like when I was waiting to board my flight, which I thought was really cool place just to. To your point, try that experience. Well, speaking of experience, this is uh, definitely a big part of how we deliver a better content experience And chatting with you today, learning about the the right way to get content out and raise that bar. And I think everyone who's tuned in has learned a little bit, which is always our goal here, Joe. So I thank you on behalf of Anna at Convince & Convert. I'm Randy from Uberflip. This has been Connex, the content experience show. And if you've enjoyed it, go check out all the other podcasts that we have, whether you're on Spotify, whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, pretty much anywhere these days, you can find our podcast, leave us some feedback and let us know what we can do to make it better. Until next time, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks again to Joe.
3: Thank you very much. It's great to be with you.
0: This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. The Content Experience Show is sponsored by Convince & Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.